the Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy, with your host, Dan Mickler, with music by bensound.com. Welcome to the Mental Cast, a smorgasbord of information for your mind. I am joined today by Sean Manzi. We wanted to talk a little bit today about coaching philosophies and um, philosophies in general, not just coaching philosophy, but how we can use philosophies in pretty much everything from our executive world to performing arts to sports. Sean, why don't you give you a little bit of background on yourself and um, we'll go from there. Okay. Um, I'm born and raised in California, but now I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, I've been coaching for coming up on my 15th season now. Um, and I, in the last, I'd say, eight years have really taken a hold of understanding the mental side of the game um, and, and revolutionizing, not revolutionizing, I guess, I guess forward-progressing um, people. Um, the game is easy for me. Uh, it's, you know, going from a player to a coach, it's an easy game. Um, but then how are you going to, um, teach the brain how to, how to be more effective at it? So that's what I've been doing the past eight years of just learning and, and applying and, um, tinkering, lots of tinkering. Um, tinkering, huh? So, yeah. when we're talking about the functional philosophies and, you know, what we're looking at. How do you start your process? Like I know for me, I sit down and I, I don't necessarily look at what my goals are for that task. Uh, you know, let's, let's keep it sports related team wise. So I'm not looking at specifically this team. I'm thinking more long range and I want the, the team to fit into my philosophy and what I'm doing with the team. Is that how you work it? Or, you know, what's your process when you're, when, when you're looking at your philosophy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mine, mine, evolve every year. Um, I just came from coaching university men, uh, 20, 18 to 22 year old males to now I've got a 15 to girls team. So I can't have the same, um, attitudes and philosophies and direction, um, that I had with my men's team. So I had a very big, uh, renaissance in regards to what I thought about. So the one thing I do love about having a coaching up oh, and go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, that wasn't me. That was some feedback. Oh, uh, so what I really enjoy about having and, and changing my coaching philosophy is that it gives a, a certain direction to my program. Um, each team that I have is obviously very individual and it's a great way to communicate to players when they ask me questions or why they ask me questions. Uh, and, and also it really keeps me honest. Um, it, it's written down of what I believe, what I know, uh, and it, I can vehemently think and say what I, what I want to happen. You know, I hear a lot of people who say, oh, well, I think this and I think this, but do, what do they know? Like, I know what their, that's their opinion. And it's like writing a personal introspective paper. Uh, you don't have to say, I think it's, it's what you know. So writing out my coaching philosophy every year really um, makes a cohesive of, of, um, attitudes towards my players. Do you – so let's take the example of you going from collegiate men into 15 and under girls now. Did you start completely fresh mm-hmm. or did you kind of morph what you already had and – and change it for your needs or was it, you know, toss the paper out and let's just begin completely new. Uh, I had a very good basis in regards to what I already had. Um, maybe, maybe six years ago. Uh, I, I started out with my mentor, Jim Deisler, and he really helped me establish what I wanted and to assess my coaching style. Uh, at first I really was this command coach, like this Bobby Knight, and I don't know if that was just me projecting being five six Napoleon of I've got to be this this hard ass, but I'm not. Um, so, so then I turned into a cooperative coach, uh, like a Phil Jackson, and I really turned into how are we as a team going to um, be successful and what's our success? 
But then it turned into a Tara Vanderveer, uh, a cooperative coach with vision. And what are we as a team going to see going forward? Um, what is so my my introspective has really changed about who I am as a person, and that is really portrayed onto what I want to be successful with my team. So a lot of the times we've really revolutionized every year, and maybe two or three times a year I've changed. What am I going to think about? How am I going to attack different situations? You know, now I've got to deal with teenage girls who are dealing with, I, I, I haven't even gotten to those issues yet, but um, I'm sure something's going to hit me and I'm going to have to learn how to adjust. What, <clears throat> what importance do you put on your philosophy as a coach? Like, if you were like me, you know, this is my 20, I think the 26th year, actually. I was 18 coaching 18s my very first year, um, which, you know, would mm -hmm. never happen today. But I didn't mm -hmm. probably really start working on my philosophy for another 10 years. And I always say if I could go back in time, one thing I would change is probably that. To me, that's how important my coaching philosophy is. Um, same with my business philosophy, and, and they're the same, but... How do you feel in importance? Like, did you start out right away your first year of coaching? Like, you had your philosophy, even though it changed, or was it just you went out and coached and you didn't really think about what your philosophy was or put it down on paper? You just kind of did what you did. Yeah, I, I didn't even know what I was doing. Um, I came out of high school and I coached the freshman team at my alma mater, freshman girls. And actually, the guy I coached with is Keegan Cook uh, at University of Washington. So him and I bounced a lot of ideas off each other, and you know we started our coaching careers together. But I I just learned the game, and I got so addicted to the game of volleyball that I really didn't know how to focus on myself. I focused on the team, and 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 but what I guess that really has done is it created a, a basis or a foundation for what my philosophy really is. Um, I found out early my ideal self, you know, the person I'd want to be, you know, I had a lot of really good mentors and older head coaches who guided me and, and taught me a lot of great things about how to be what I wanted to be. Uh, I learned a lot of introspective things in my public my public self of how others perceive me. And I've been let go from jobs and I learned really quickly what the public self was. Uh, and I've been without jobs and I've been in positions where I've been the sole responsible person where my real self is, is who I am and what my philosophy is. So my philosophy is curtailed to a lot of the things that my players have taught me. And my theory is that I'm not, I'm going to stop coaching the day I stop learning to something or I stop learning from someone or from my players, because they're evolving just as much as I am. That I think that's the, the key for me, and I, I, I am in the process, you know, every beginning of season and end of season, I kind of go through my philosophy and think about where I could strengthen it or what needs to change, and I'm just beginning that process now after this season, and the very first line um, I'm keeping is the fact that I just always want to be learning I, I continual improvement, whether it's my coaching education or if it's what I'm teaching my players. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. we forget about that. We get lost in the moment, especially with club volleyball. You know, you have a club, anything really, you, you have your kids for this short amount of time and then typically they move mm -hmm. on or you might move up with them, but you're not with them all the time. So I think sometimes we let our philosophies go and our guiding lights kind of go to get that victory in the moment. But the, the more I focus on my philosophy, kind of seems like the more success I have. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I've learned that even these small instances of how we treat others really compounds to a lot of things in life. Like, I, I once had a boss who um, it wasn't a volleyball boss when I was a sports information director. You know, the we're doing stack crew, we're doing numbers and the, the computer, the PC just blue screens of death. And he was just such a jerk. And he said, 
you know, not a day goes by when you don't ask something out. Great. You know, like that really makes you want to work for you. And that's, I took that and I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that, that resented, angry man. At the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did. They'll remember how you made them feel. And that's, that's the thing is I want to make other people feel good about themselves. And here we are at, 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 I had a 15U tournament this past weekend. And we have one girl who's, uh, for lack of a better term, sometimes, I guess, a little poopy pants. And we had, she hit a ball out of bounds. She went, oh, woes me. And then distract, detracted from the group. And so she gets subbed out because she did everything that wasn't against her team. And now I have to have this conversation with her tomorrow night at, or tonight at practice. Say, hey, here's what happened and here's why. And we can move forward. And one thing I did learn from Hugh McCutcheon um, was about a player on the national team that they cut. They just said, hey, we're going to be succinct in this. We don't want you. Have a good day. See you later. And when you're ready to hear the rationale, come on back when you're, when you're mature. And she has yet to step into his office and say what happens. Um, so you, you learn you kind of have to vary in regards to I've got to be a, a, a harder person. I've got to balance that and, and what I believe in the, the Phil Jackson statement of we're going to work through this together, but you still have to have accountability. Right. And for me, I think the other thing, and, and you kind of hit the, the nail on the head, was it's kind of a way to make sure everyone's on the same starting page. Um, when you walk mm. in and you're joining my program or you're coming to my school, hey, this is my philosophy. And it's not, you know, my philosophy is out there for everyone. My, my girls get a copy of it every year. It's not something that I just write and hide and put in a journal or, you know, put under my desk. It's something that's visible clearly to me all year and to my players. But I think it's a way for us to really get on the same starting page when we begin. They know what's expected. They know how I'm going to be. And really, it's it's the blueprint for my whole season. And mm-hmm. I would love to guess some astronomical percentage of the people that we see complaining about helicopter parents and things going on who don't have a coaching philosophy or don't have that blueprint. They may think it in the back of their head, but when you sit down and you write it out and you think about it, almost every decision that you have to make will be guided by your philosophy so you don't get into those weird yeah. moments. And I, I think that's kind of where we're at, that we're, we're just getting so many coaches now that are great coaches or, or good coaches, but don't think that they need to do these things. And that, and that was me, you know, 15 years ago. I should have been doing that. I wouldn't have run into some of the problems that I did. I would have known how to handle it. Um, you know, playing time, parents, fundraising, all that type of stuff. What? Yeah, um, but also we, we went through a trial by fire in regards to not having a philosophy and learning all those bad things that happen. Um, nobody, I don't, I didn't have anybody tell me, Hey, here's what's going to happen in this situation. It's, as an assistant, I always had the right answer. I always knew what was correct. But I never saw it from my bosses with their closed-door meeting in regards to how they were going to deal with parents or how they were going to deal with playing time and all those things. So what I enjoy about having the coaching philosophy or, or tailoring it every year is that something new always happens. Every time. It, it, it never fails. Something new will happen every year. And this philosophy really backs up what you have seen in your experiences and how you have been successful entertaining those experiences. So let's get into the meat of it then. What is, from a philosophy standpoint, what is, how do you start? If I'm a brand new coach or I'm a brand new executive, and and that's the other key point, this really does translate if you're in the boardroom or your manager have your managing philosophy. Now, it might be a little bit different. You're not going to have it you know, on display for your whole work team to see, or, or maybe you will, but doing a management philosophy mm-hmm. would help you just like it does a coaching philosophy. How are you going to handle your workers? How are you going to handle your workflow? How are you going to handle the problems that you run into? So if I'm a new yeah. executive or I'm a new manager or I'm a new coach, how do you start? Like, What would your suggestion be? How do I start? I'm sitting with a blank computer screen or a blank piece of paper ready to go. 
Yeah, uh, my my first sentence would be that I believe in engaging everybody. I want everybody to have a say in the process. Uh, let's say we're a, a medium-sized company with maybe 30 employees. I, you know, it's an example, but everyone still is just as important, I see. The, the people who wipe the floors or, or what have you are still just as important as the guy who writes the checks. So I want input from as many people. I mean, I know some opinions weigh more than others, but my then would go to how are we going to make this company successful or what are we going to, what is our success? So I'd curtail from everyone's important, everyone has an input to what do we want to be successful? And I know that's a, a team mantra, but you also have to understand that there's different attitudes, mentalities, and you're not going to have people who are going to work hard 24 hours a day all the time just for you. Um, so as, as a manager, I, I, I'd say, what's, how do I hold people accountable and how do I get the best out of them? I, I think it's a lot more introspection and, and self-awareness than it is um, being a, a, a manageable. Yeah, a lot more self, self-reflection. So we talked earlier about you know starting fresh or just throwing ideas down. And, and I just caught this question from one of our listeners that's listening live. BJ um, wanted to know, do we keep all our past philosophies? And if so, how different is our first one for our last? And I personally don't know that I've kept everyone. I have a really good chunk. And with the exception of probably the first two sentences about continued growth and continued learning, they're completely different. Right. Right. I, I still have all mine. Um, I have backed everything up on Time Machine and, and the cloud and, you know, and all that nerdy stuff. So... At first, my, my first philosophy was like five pages of drivel. And I look back on how terrible it actually was. Um, but I, I had this vision that I wanted to take over the world and be a 30 under 30. And I wanted to be the winningest coach. And, and now I, it has evolved into nothing about me, but it's all about my players and the people that I'm with. And the fact that I want to show appreciation for my parents or the, the people running the tournament. Uh, so it's, it's really been a maturation of, of self. Uh, and now it's only one page long and it says, Hey, this is what I believe. A couple quick rules. Um, and I expect the best out of people. And if you don't do your job, you're not on the court or I don't want to be around you. Um, so it's really turned into, uh, a very Socratic kind of, a very Socratic method of you either do it or you don't, and I'm going to guide you and find, let you have your self-discovery. Yeah, and I think if we relate this to the business world, if I'm the manager, you know, let's say I'm a regional sales manager, I have to think about what's my philosophy. Is my goal to become the national sales manager? Is my you know, do I want to win all those awards or am I in it for the money? Because however you react to those is going to guide you. If I'm driven by money, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in the business world, maybe my philosophies are a little bit, I'm going to give a little bit more leeway. I'm going to let that top sales performer come in late and leave early because he's still getting me the numbers and, and, and helping me towards my goal. Whereas if I'm trying to grow mm-hmm. something or I, I'm purpose driven, um, I, I might not let someone get away from that. And, and actually that kind of goes back to an eventual podcast. I want to talk with one of the coaches of the little league world series champions. We were talking randomly about elite players getting away with more than your non elite players. And how do you do that as a coach? You know, in the baseball world, you know, he had players that would come in for batting practice, rip some balls and then leave. And that's all they would do while the rest of the team is doing the rest of the 90 minute workout and, and pushing it. How do you handle that? And, you know, the fair doesn't mean equal concept and all that, but I mean, that, that pertains everywhere. And how old are these kids? Um, this was, I, I mean, 
we were putting it in reference of college. Um, but he yeah. was just got done coaching, you know, 12 year olds and, and he didn't really run into it too much there. But I mean, we're starting to see it in the volleyball world. You have 18s and 17 year old players that are pretty elite and they come in for serve and pass and then they leave or, you know, they got to go play basketball or they're splitting time or they got to do homework. You know, how, how fair is it that your best player is missing one practice a week out of two practices because he or she has to do AP history? You know, where's that yeah. balance? And and I think that's where your coaching philosophy kind of comes in because you need to address that because you're going to come across it. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. And one of the the crazy parts about coaching in university is that you have so many different um, venues of of studying and things going on. And we were at when I'm at Belmont Abbey, we wanted the kids to go do as many different things outside of sports and school as possible. Like I highly encourage them to go into drama or clubs or things outside of it. But then it's also a matter of their, their priorities, their time management. Um, but you've also got the different studying realms. You go kids from chem bio to computer science to, um, teaching and, and different, different, um, respects. So in my philosophy at Belmont Abbey, it said that everything is case by case. So I had to weigh in and be judge on a lot of things. And one thing I did say to them is you make a mistake once that's fine. You get one, one leeway. Uh, but then from there, um, if you do it again, then it's on purpose. So, you wellfully and knew what was going on that second time. So that's your own choice that you decided to make. So there we go again with teaching them how to think for themselves and budget their time and, and priorities. Uh, one thing I did learn from this guy named Michel Bollet, he was the president of the Swiss National Volleyball Coaches Association. And I want to say he was uh, a pro coach in Switzerland for years. Um, he's now in the, in the business world, still stays with volleyball here and there, but he said, look, the big difference between the coaching and the business world is that coaching, you can do all this preparation, all this scouting and all this, uh, getting ready for the match. But then at the end of the match, you either won or you lost, you can't go back in time, but here you are, you go into the business world and this is you get your presentation ready, you get all these things together and they go with somebody else. So you can now adjust your game plan and go back and give them a better offer or a different deal. Hopefully that they will take it and hopefully that they can choose, choose that you're the winner. So there's the one little difference of coaching in sport or philosophy in sports versus philosophy in um in business is the time frames, and, and one thing is also nice is that you can really focus on adjusting and adjusting and changing and still having the attitude of I'm going to be a winner. Okay. So let's, let's segue into that. What do you put in okay. your coaching philosophy about winning? Like what, how do you, how do you phrase what your goals are from a competitive standpoint? in your philosophy. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> and, and I realize, yeah, I realize that that's different. I'm, I'm sure yeah. what it, what it was in college is different than what it is now. You know, when, when I'm doing the stuff at college, my philosophy on winning and competition is completely different than what my philosophy is when I'm working with the PVL or a pro team. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, well, right now it's kind of turned into how are we going to learn? How are we going to get beat? Um, you know, you win or you get beat or you learn and, and all those things, but um, how are you going to uh, react when you get beat or when you lose? You know, there's the stimuli and response and how are you going to react between between those two? That's that's the maturation, and how are you going to grow? 
So my job at the 15 year old level is teaching them how to, how to grow. Um, we're the 15 two team. I'm going to be really honest. We aren't the best team in the world. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to win national championships in the States. It's, um, so how are we going to grow as people? How are we going to accept that we're going to get beat and we're going to lose and we're going to take time off? So how am I going to teach that? And that takes a lot of energy for me to really put it into my players, my assistant, um, my coachy or my, um, my parents on the team, uh, my director, and everyone has to really buy into this. So my philosophy has changed to how are we all going to buy into this one system or this one attitude and belief? So I sent out an email to the parents at the beginning of the season and said, hey, here's my coaching philosophy. Here's where I want us to go. And I had the girls all sit down with our code of conduct. And our code of conduct, basic rules, you know, don't do anything bad while wearing our gear and, and win with or lose with pride and win with humility, all, all these things. And, you know, at the end of it, we said, does anybody have any questions? And nobody said anything. So we just said, silence is consent right now. If you're not going to speak up, you all agree and we're all moving forward together. Um, and so that has really been a big part of my philosophy for this season is, we have to learn how to be a team. And a lot of times teams don't, I don't really see teams coach or work on being a team. They just work on the game. They don't work on that mental side. It, it's interesting because my, first we can't have a podcast with volleyball being kicked around and not mention Kessel in some sense. Um, but one of the things Ooh. that, <laughs> yeah, one of the things that stuck in my head that he said years ago at a clinic I was at was that keeping winning in perspective is really about having preventative medicine and not dealing in first aid. And I think that's really mm. a problem today. Maybe practices and the culture in the gym and the coaching philosophies don't focus on being competitive, being used to competitive. And then when things kind of go off the rails, all of a sudden you're trying to piece everything together kids are upset parents are upset fans are upset administration is upset mm -hmm. as opposed to setting those realistic goals of what you wanted to do and then doing it every day and practicing it every day is probably one of the biggest pitfalls that we have yeah everyone looks great when they win everyone's fantastic but true character really comes out when you're getting beat and you're getting your butt handed to you um, and, and that's one thing I really enjoy about sports is it really does reveal a character of who people are. And that was a great example of this weekend, this girl who was being poopy pants and she started losing and this and that, and that revealed who she was. And that's what I enjoy about sports. So, so then you, you check your philosophy and you're going to have your blueprint or how you're going to deal with the girl that's poopy pants. Um, that's, that's, yeah. So the, the conversation will be very basic of, I'm going to tersely describe why she was pulled and what happened to lead to her demise. And that from now on, I don't want her mom emailing me saying, Oh, can you talk to my daughter? Uh, it's going to be, she's got to grow up and she's got to come and talk and, I'm not going to explain to her anymore as to why she wants to, uh, why she believes that she needs to be put in all six rotations. So the, the conversation is very much of Socratic. And as I described in my philosophy of you want it, you got to come get it and you've got to figure out why you want to, um, be the starter or what can you do to stay on the court? I guess you could say. Um, and so my philosophy is really encouraged on her taking initiative, taking the steps and learning that she's going to have bosses in her life that are going to do things much worse than what I'm doing of pulling her out of a volleyball match. And she's got to have this conversation with a boss and she's got to have conversations with people that she doesn't want to. It's, it's part of life. And, um, 
and hopefully she can learn from it. And if not, I'll, I've guided her. I've hopefully she can self discover. So let's go more into the meat of your philosophy or, you know, philosophy in general, what, what's another concept or what's something else that you hit on when you're doing your coaching philosophy? Um, I want my players to tell me that I'm wrong. I really enjoy when that happens. And I, I don't think very many kids are used to hearing that. And, and because I want them to show me that they're paying attention and that they have enough, that we have the comfortability in our, in our program that they can say, Oh no, no, Hey coach, hold on. Like here's something else that I've been thinking. Or if I just write something on the whiteboard and it's not correct and they just say, Oh, shouldn't these two be flip flop? Like it shows that they're paying attention. They have the confidence in themselves to really want uh, to know what's, what's going on. And, um, and, and really it's, it's a maturity, a maturity thing with them. So that's, that's one thing I really enjoy. Um, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. that This year was probably the first year in a long time that that's actually happened to me. You know, I had a player that I benched after the first set, and um, one of my starters and a, a really solid player at a match just really underperformed the first set. And um, the next day she's in my office, you know, obviously upset about that decision, and we had a really good talk about it. And... It wasn't a mm -hmm. me trying to prove why I was right and her being upset. It was more of, hey, coach, I think you made the wrong decision. Here's why. You know, historically, my first set's my worst. I think I could have helped battle that back. I didn't get time to adjust. I didn't get enough sets. And she really pinpointed all the reasons. And honestly, that was – it was a bittersweet moment because she was absolutely right. And I had to self-reflect on that, that maybe I was just looking at the raw numbers too much. And I should have given her that chance. Right. And, and from that point on, luckily it happened really early in the season. From that moment on, like our communication, how we worked with each other was amazing. But because yeah. in my philosophy, yeah. I mentioned that, you know, we're all learning and we can't be afraid to help each other learn. Even if it means having these uncomfortable conversations. I don't think if she would have read that or I would have put it in there, I don't know that we would have had that conversation. Yeah. Now, you're at a, a D3, which is usually a, a more academia school, um, and I'd assume you have intelligent children on your team, right? Has there been a, a one challenge that you've really had to deal with this season um, that's just been a, a block for you that hits your, hits your coaching philosophy like spot on or, or just a, a challenge for you? Yeah, I think for me the biggest thing is you know, for those that don't know the backstory, I've been the assistant coach for four years, and then this year I stepped into the head coach. The, the challenge is I returned the whole team. Um, our seniors mm. that would have been seniors this year quit, you know, self-quit the team. They, they just felt like they didn't mesh well. Um, long before any coaching change happened, they left. So, and, and most of the team I returned, all but one, were starters anyway. And, mm -hmm. and this year I have the same problem. I don't have any seniors. So I get this team for two years in a row, but it, it's, you know, who your starting nine are or your 10 that you're using, but it's the back five and working with them and, and they deserve to get to see the court. But at the same time, the players that also are working hard and are the starters deserve to win matches and see the court as well. And, and I think mm -hmm. that's where playing time obviously is not – playing time issues is not new or unique to me or anyone. But I think that's really where my philosophy guided me in the sense of I know my philosophy that I'm going to give everyone the as, as close to equal or as intense training as I can in practice. But when it comes to game time, I'm going with the best option at that time. And yeah. – uh, you know, all but one, you know, st but the same, that, that same girl has the same backstory, you know, grew up in a club system in a high school system where they weren't really nurtured for competition in practice. They weren't used to that. And, you know, if you, if you can't compete with the girl beside you in your own gym, how are you going to compete across the net is, is really what it comes down to. 
So that was probably where I had my biggest issues this year was finding that balance because if you go with the argument of the bench players are working really hard in practice and deserve playing time, well, if your starters are working really hard in practice, don't they also deserve playing time? You know, it's it's one thing right, if your starters right. are slacking off and, and you're making that. So it's it's such a, a fine line and, and – you know, like I said, I just kind of stuck true to what I what I put in my philosophy, what I believe in, and I'm, I'm going to go with what's going to do best for us as a program, both in the moment and down the future. And, you know, obviously you can continue to work, and that's fluid all season long, all year long, all off season long. But, you know, it's that's probably the one that's hard to stick to. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so in, in regards to those, those team decisions, how – how much do you take a lot of weight in regards to your different players and how they interact with each other? Do you watch them off the court um, and watch them, how they interact with each other and see how that transposes to the court or just say, Hey, these are the numbers. You guys are really good at this. You've won the cauldron this week. Uh, you're playing. Um, we do cauldron almost everything, but it doesn't determine I feel like the cauldron is like my my tiebreaker. I, I usually feel like I have a good sense of what I want to go with. Um, if I'm on the mm. fence or trying to figure out, that's usually where I end up going to my cauldron results. Um, but I absolutely look. Are you engaged in in the in the huddles? You know, we had a we had an instance this year where I just had a player that in the middle of the game completely shut down. I mean, looked like she never played the game before. You could tell she was just completely out of it. And I turn to the backup to put her in, and she's, like, n- not even looking. She's completely disappeared from the radar. So now I have to leave that girl in. So it's hurting the team, obviously, but it's also hurting the girl that I'm trying to pull out because she obviously knows she needs to come out and regroup. But then the girl that's, you know, complaining about the playing time or getting in is nowhere to be found or even ready to go in the game. So for me, that's right. huge. Like, what are you doing when I, I don't need you when we're done doing a drill, getting extra reps to prove that you want to work on it, but are you engaged while we're working on it? Are you just going through the motions? So that, that's, that's right. pretty big for me. Yeah. So I see that a lot actually, where you have kids who will go through the motions habitually and then you've got kids who are working really hard. And then maybe that one instance where you look over they're actually kind of coasting maybe because they're tired or what have you. Um, so that's what I love about having this coaching philosophy and, and, and tempering it every season of this. I should know these kids really well. I've only got 11 girls. I should really know that, um, how they interact and how they work and, and all these different things. So I really enjoy engaging the athlete, challenging the athlete, and seeing where they go past their comfort zone. Um, and one little game I learned from Andrea Becker to quickly test what type of athlete you have is um, you sit a, a person down and you put a little bucket out in front of them, and they've got to bounce five tennis balls into the bucket. And if it misses, they got to start over. So there's a little challenge that they got to do. Now they're going to either accept this challenge or be like, yeah, I want to, I want to go on my recruiting visit or what have you. But then you can step it up by putting on music, talking to them while they're doing this challenge and then timing it and filming it. So you have all these ulterior distractions going on. How is this athlete going to focus on this one little task? It's a menial task bounce the ball into a bucket, but how are they going to focus? Are they going to be distracted? Um, and then how am I as a, a coach going to dive into my philosophy and to what I believe? Am I going to say, okay, this kid, as you talked about earlier, he's a stud kid, but he can't deal with somebody talking to him while he bounces a ball. How is he going to deal with somebody chirping at him during a match? He may be great on, on his, um, on his recruiting film, but, in person, how do I want to take him? Do I want to take this project, quote-unquote, or do I want to take this kid? No. Yeah, And that's how, 
recruiting, I've really changed my philosophy and how I recruit in, I really let the recruit drive the conversation when I first meet them. Yeah. I, f- I feel like most of the time we're trying to sell the school or the program on them. So they're just taking it in and they're saying all the right things. I want to see what comes out of their mouth and, and what excites them or, you know, what, what goals they might have outside of volleyball. And if you just keep asking the same questions, you know, what do you play? What's your vertical? You know, how do you feel about this, that? So I'll either start with just a really random, weird question, or I'll just try and get them to guide and, and run the whole conversation. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're the one that the ones that are really funny are the uh, the parents who talk too much uh, or talk all the time. And oh, my my child is this, my darling daughter is this, and let me tell you about how great this kid is. And okay, cool, this is fantastic. And then I had a a kid come on a trip, and the mom talked about how great this kid was, and all these, you know, my son is fantastic, he's five nine. Like your your son is not going to be a middle blocker, right? And and then we're at dinner and the kids like showing me videos on his phone of just inappropriate partying, and they're seventeen years old. Like, I, no, man, like stop it, stop it. I, I just don't want to deal with that. I know that was my story. <laughs> so since we're going to soon wrap this up, I guess the yep. last part is well, the two parts. First, let's go through some of the major coaches. You know, in when when I was researching this and trying to decide how I wanted to guide this episode and what I want to do, of course, I look up all the all the big coaches. You know, the Pat Summits and the Coach K's. And what I found really interesting was there was a. I don't even know if I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I think it would be funny if I did. But in most of the top coaches, there was a common theme, you know, taking responsibility and respect and ethics. And uh, probably from everyone from Pat Summit to to John Wooden all had that aspect in it about ethics and, and taking uh, responsibility and ethics. But I noticed the yeah. one coach that I researched that didn't have it was uh rick patino um <laughs> i'm not and, and again i'm not necessarily busting on him like i get it but a lot of that was his his goals of pushing like when when he list his 10 top things you know for his philosophy they were self uh set demanding goals thrive under pressure be ferociously persistent survive success but nowhere in there was there anything about doing it down the ethical path. And, and again, I'm not saying it to cut on them. I guess for me, the ethics is such a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Should, should we be surprised that that didn't make the top 10 of a coach like that? Or is it no. just, is it just these other things are more important and that's what he recruits now. That's how he does it. Do you, I have a question. Okay. Inversely, would you see that Bobby Knight had ethics for his programs? You know, from my limited knowledge, here's, I guess this is kind of not really answering it. I felt like he demanded and the team demanded the ethics, but I think him personally didn't follow his own rules of ethics. Okay. So that's, that's how I see applicable to Rick Pitino in the same regard is that, He's that that Bobby or yeah that Bobby Knight command coach style. That's his coaching style. Yeah, it may not be his philosophy because whatever he gets into trouble for other things. And you and I are under cooperative coach, so that's just his style, man. It's just what he does, man. Yeah, I mean, if if I went down the list of you know Pat Summit in one of our articles or one of the books about her had the the definite dozen. And the mm-hmm. very first one is respect yourself and others. Second one is take full responsibility. Uh, yeah. Discipline yourself so no one else has to. Like These are awesome, and it's exactly what I think of when I think of a great coach. I, I, it just amazes me the difference of I want to win and this is what I win, coach, versus I want to grow and this is what I want to learn. Yeah. And one thing I really enjoy about John Sparrow is that 
he vehemently teaches about respect your opponent because they're going to make you a better player and, or coach or person. So again, that's the push and be pushed attitude of he wants the competition. He wants to be better than what he is. And he shows and he, he shows his respect. He shows his coaching philosophy. He exhibits it, I should say. So then let's finish up with, let's say, a new coach or a new person in business or someone maybe just looking to actually create a philosophy. What, let's go through the process. What, what do you think the first steps would be for creating a philosophy or what were your first steps for creating the philosophy? My first step was listing maybe five things that were really important to me um, for coaching. Uh, as I said, it went from winning or all these things, and then it changed into um, making self better. So I say five things that are really, really important, and then working our way down. Um, it, it's kind of like a reverse pyramid where the, the pointy tip is at the bottom, where we want the really important stuff at the top, and then we'll kind of filter down to maybe wins, or we go 20-0 and 0 or something. Um, and a timeline. What? How can you really assess your timeline as to this is success, or your timeline and when am I going to reassess what is happening, what is working, what is not working, and how are you going to go about these different situations? Yeah, so your process was pretty much the same as mine. Um, I wrote down my five. I think I actually wrote four down to start with. And and these were my guiding principle. These were my four words, you know, that 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 meant the most to me. You know, and, and I forget, honestly, what the first ones were. You know, learning, ethical, communication, um, citizenship was the one that I, I just remember that because that's the last one that I've added recently was – I want my players under me to become better citizens of the world, not just the program, not just the school, but, but the world. Um, so I wrote down those three and then I go back or I wrote down those four and then I go back under those four and I basically write one sentence or another word describing or just going a little bit deeper in that word. Um, and then when I get it all written out, then I put it in paragraph form and, you know, make sure it reads like it's not doing a sweet pickles or a phonics commercial and, you know, it's it's kind of catchy and easy to hang up somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's got to be it's got to be got to be like a skirt, really. You know, uh, just enough to catch the attention, but long enough to cover everything. Uh, I, I, th- I might have to steal that one. I, I kind of like that analogy. <laughs> yep, that's how I learned writing. And, um, oh, go ahead. I, I, no, I really had nothing on that. To tell you. <laughs> I, um, I was just going to close up with, you know, one of the big reasons that we do a, a coaching philosophy or a management philosophy really is it also helps us ensure credibility. Uh, parents realize that there's a creed or there's something I'm following. I'm not just going off a whim and saying, oh, yeah, today this is going to be the punishment or this is what I expect today. Um, mm. You know, it, it kind of they know that there's a plan and a path and it kind of holds my feet to the fire. Hey, coach, mm. come on. This is kind of what you're preaching. You're kind of getting off track there a little bit. And, and and that does happen. Sometimes we get blinded by the moment or something going on. Um, and I think it's an easy way to evaluate. You know, it's it's a set methodology of how we're going to evaluate our program, our players, our workers, our executives. It, it's a really easy framework to put everything in. Yep, I, I totally agree, especially about especially about the accountability any uh, closing thoughts before we wrap up this first episode? Um, no. No, man. <laughs> it, it's I, a, I, I enjoy it. I really enjoy it, Dan. Thank when, you. When I was thinking about doing this, you know, there were a million things about what I wanted my first episode to be. And it was going to be journaling or was it going to be goal setting or the lack of goal setting. And, and I was just talking to someone the other day and – a new coach and they were frustrated. And I said, well, what's your philosophy? And he's like, what are you talking about? And 
I just started to think about maybe this should be the first one because this kind of sets the tone. If you want to goal set or you want to journal or, you know, you want to do mental skills training with your players, all that has to fall within the confines of what your philosophy is for what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of why. And I just remember you and I have had this discussion about this topic a million times. I know that you've presented to groups on this topic and it was a no brainer to reach out to you and to have this, you know, frank kind of conversation. Well, thank you. I told my wife I was so excited I was going to be on a podcast. I'm on my first podcast. She's like, weren't you on the net live before? I'm like, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, That's who hasn't been on that, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been the Mental Cast. I'm your host, Dan Mickle, and we've been listening and having a great chat with Sean Manzi, who is in the great north of the border, Canada. Where exactly are you at in Canada? Uh, right outside Toronto, Ontario. There, bud. It's pretty wicked cold. Uh, you're you're starting to get it. I, I can hear yeah. the aboots we and. Went- we went and bought mittens today. That's how cold it is. <laughs> well, thank you for the talk. Um, I'm sure I'll have you on numerous more episodes of this. And anyone listening, you can reach us at 717soul.com. You can hashtag Ask717Soul on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll use your questions for future episodes. And hopefully we can continue to do these live episodes and get some interaction while we're doing live at um, mentalcast.com and 717soul.com. Again, thanks everyone for listening, and we will catch you on the flip side. You have just finished listening to The Mental Cast with your host, Dan Mickle, powered by Soul Performance Academy. Visit us online at 717soul.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 717soul. Send us your questions for future episodes with the hashtag Ask717soul. Thank you and catch you on the flip side.